Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broadening our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello there. And Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, guys? How you doing? <laughs> doing okay. I doing okay. Channeling my Obi-Wan there. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I really just want to see how much of a pause I can put between the, the what's up guys and the how you doing. <laughs> All right, Shatner. <laughs> yeah. We'll experiment with that next episode. I like episodes. it. Sure. I'll mix it up a how little bit. How are you doing? <laughs> um, we have a bit of admin off the top for this uh, episode. Oh. Two things. First thing, I need to clarify something from the last episode about a cult. Uh-oh. That was like a monster episode. It was one of our longest we've done. So much stuff to talk about. Early in the episode, I promised to circle back once we had the full plot and talk about something. Oh. And I didn't, which is awkward and it's weird. So I'm going to do it now real quick just to get that out. Did somebody comment? No, I noticed <laughs> okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> I said I'd do it and damn it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. So Michael, it was when we were talking about those early scenes where it's focused on the murder in Miyogasaki and they visit like the you know loved ones of the people that died. Mm. And you were kind of like, hey, those parts, I don't really know what their purpose was. And I said, oh, I think there's a point. And then I never came back to talk about that. So the thing is, uh, <laughs> the real main one is the mother. She has the dream about the daughter, right? And she's coming to her and saying, like, oh, I've come home. Uh-huh. And when they do that, they show you the characters on the screen, like the Japanese characters. So later they kind of revise that when they're doing the automatic writing thing. And it's the name of the mountain where Kutoro Rock is. And they kind of re-show you that scene for a second. And it's weird because they don't talk about it like the documentarians don't. But they show you that it's like a wordplay thing where really what the daughter was saying in the dream was the name of that mountain. Well, I remember that. Right. So, I still don't get so it. Here, here's my, <laughs> well, duh. So, here's my connecting point of like why I think those scenes are significant is because they're kind of a hint as you go through that there is something more going on than just N.O. being crazy. And it looked to me like, I think there's a few different ways you could read it. You could see it as like, because at the end, when we get that final, you know, hellscape that you hated, Jason, (laughs) um, they're there with N.O. and uh, Ken among all the people that are trapped there. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like you could read it as like, they were trying to warn their loved ones that this event was coming to try to like make them aware to do something about it. The same way we see the crazy person, who clearly knows something's going on and he tries to stop them. Or if you want to be more nihilistic about it and maybe in tune with like the Lovecraftian theme, that could be this entity that's trying to like drive people to fulfill this whole prophecy up for that reading. Fucking nihilist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's done out of the way. Zip it up. Close it. Gone. Our other other thing, which is a general announcement about the podcast. I'm fired. (laughs) We've replaced Jason. Uh, <laughs> we finally did it. They've been threatening forever. No, no. You're good. You're still uh, in. Okay, cool. Um, we have joined the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Yay! Yay! Uh, what does that mean for this show? Kind of nothing, really. Yeah, they're super cool and basically mm-hmm. offered us a spot um, in their podcast network and pretty much told us, they're like, yeah, man, you just keep doing what you're doing. We're not really going to have any involvement. Just, you know, shout out. So... This is us shouting out, and you will hear a little clip in each episode from here on out. Yep, we've got a cool bumper. 
uh, audio thing for the network, which you will find a good place to insert. Yeah, in, I'm sure. I don't know where I'm going to put that yet, but don't worry, we're not getting paid, so it's not like we sold out <laughs> or anything. It's basically <laughs> a way that it helps get us out there to reach more people. And if you enjoy what we're doing and you want us to say, like, hey, I need more podcasts to listen to, here's a great avenue to go and find some more stuff. Yeah, everybody later. else there on that podcast network is pretty like minded. Mm-hmm. Um, similar themes. I mean, we found out about them because of how much we fell in love with unsung horrors. Right. Um, and then just struck up a friendship with those guys and they were like, Hey, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking at their, um, homepage right now, their webpage. And I see our little icon on there. I hadn't looked at that yet. That's right, awesome. Yes, super Yay. fun. Uh, so if you want to check That's them great. out, they are on the web at www.thepfpn.com. That's the prescribed films podcast network. You can also find them on all the socials and stuff mm-hmm. like that too. And probably in our episode posts, I'll start tagging them just to funnel that along. And I think if you're like a diehard podcast person, they also have a special RSS feed you can do where like you just subscribe to it and it just dumps you the episodes of like every show on the network. That's pretty sweet. I don't understand how all that works. Cause so I'm if, not very... if you're someone that needs just like hours and hours and hours of content <laughs> like you, <laughs> like, like me, like me, you work at an office and you can have headphones. Um, yeah, yeah there you go. Awesome. awesome. It's very exciting. So super cool, super fun. Today we are talking about Hold the Dark in yeah. 2018. But like always, before we get deep into this, let's talk about what we've been watching. Okay. Well, do you want, since, do you watch one that was that you liked, right? Yes. Well, I got the stinker, so I'll go. Another shit sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How does this keep happening? Well, no, we'll put the, we'll make like a, a shit sashimi. <laughs> where my where my shit will be the fish that sits on top of the rice. Huh. Okay. Um, mm. just, I'm just getting mine out of the way, so you can have plenty of time to talk about yours. Um, What'd you watch? So, it came out a couple of years ago, and I saw it on Netflix build. Actually, it was last year. It just seems like fucking forever ago. Uh, it is a slasher that Netflix put out called Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight. Mm-hmm. Um the poster was super cool, which is what drew me to it. It was like very 80s throwback um, mm. slasher. And I was kind of skeptical about it, but I'd heard that there was some really cool practical gore effects. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'll give it a shot. Got to support this kind of stuff. And was there? Uh, yes. and But there's problems, though. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> problems. A slasher maybe with the problem. Um, yeah, especially that you know Netflix part. Oh, <laughs> damn! I didn't even want to say it was a Netflix movie because Dustin was going to lose his shit. Oh my god! Because he's already got plenty of time to lose it later. Um, characters are all archetypes. There's who's supposed to be there and everything. Yeah, sure. that's a slasher. Yep. Um, which I didn't have any problems with, and mm. actually all pretty well acted. I mean, I they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the comedy seemed a little off, but I think that's just from. Uh, European comedy to American comedy, like timing wise, I'm not sure that the subs played in at the perfect time. Sure, and, all of it's in the delivery and everything. Yeah. So, and it's a very dry. Like this is a Polish film um, uh, by Bartosz Kowalski. Um, is it uh, in? Is it like in English or subtitled? It's or? subbed. Yeah, it's in. Um, did it's they, in Polish did, did they do the Netflix thing and make a dub for it? That's really bad. They might have, but I don't watch those. Are so. any dubs good? Eh, Maybe yeah. for anime, but like Sometimes. for live action films, are almost always terrible. Yeah, I don't usually watch the. I don't. Right. So I don't know. Sure. Uh, but essentially, it's a 
so it takes place at this camp that's for technologically dependent youth. Um, mm. So when they get there, they solve the cell phone problem by immediately taking everybody's cell phones and you're all addicted to oh it's like a back to nature kind of thing yeah yeah and it's like called camp adrenaline or whatever (laughs) and they're supposed to go on these big hikes and do all this stuff well turns out there's um the then we get to the trope of the mutated backwoods people Mm -hmm. um living in a cabin which is fine i dig that i really do but i found myself just fucking bored like Mm. everything it was doing it's like yeah, I've seen this and it's been done better. Like a hundred times you've probably seen it. Yeah. That, right? The makeup on the Backwoods Monster guys were really cool. Mm-hmm. But it was so Victor Crowley looking that I was uh, just like, okay. okay, well, yeah. Seen that. Yeah. yeah. And so it made me, it actually kind of bummed me out a little bit because I started thinking like, okay, well, are these types of films dead? Like, can somebody put something out that's both reminiscent but new enough to really, like, because there are people who will just fawn all over this stuff just because they want it to keep being made. And sure. I And I get that. But at the same time, I think part of what makes the slashers that we love so iconic is that they took the time to set up, like, their own thing. Right. And yes, there will be tropes, but, like, they really took the time, let's develop a unique backstory or unique enough. Mm-hmm. And then created around our killer to where it's kind of their story right Mm -hmm. and so when everything about this just felt like okay well that's really close to victor crowley or really close to wrong turn it's like that's what happened in the 80s that's why slasher movies died because it was just the same thing over and over Mm -hmm. for every awesome slasher we remember and we're like oh man the 80s were great oh there's like there's 10 that suck you know (laughs) you've covered some of those i have unfortunately and sometimes but they pop up like a company will give one of those like a boutique release or mm-hmm. whatever, and it'll drum up enthusiasm about it. And then you'll go watch it and you're like, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. Like this wasn't good, but I don't know. And it kind of, I guess I'm still in my butthurtness of being burned from Halloween kills that I'm just like, well, don't worry because the extended cuts on the way. <laughs> Evil dies tonight. Tomorrow. Again. Tomorrow. We have to... We can't... It has to be tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. it's too much content. We got to make it die tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, yeah. They just... And I watched it because they just released a second one of these. Oh, got a and, and I was like, okay, well, I guess maybe it was good enough to get picked up for a sequel. I'm not going to watch the second one because I didn't give a shit about the first mm. one. Well, yikes. So, unfortunate. If you're into... I will say this, though. If you really love... The campy slashers, um, you like the winks at the camera and the homages. Mm-hmm. This might not be as bad for you if you're able to look past the, I don't want to say lack of originality because we run into things all the time with everything's a riff on something else. Yeah. At I some don't even point. know that I need a slasher to be original. Yeah, I just wanted something to be. It just didn't grab you. Take a few steps extra, mm-hmm. you know, like. To go a little bit extra away from your source material. Mm. So, I don't know. Maybe you could really dig it. It's only like an hour and a half, so it's not a huge time dump. Maybe if... We need Ryan Johnson, the director of Slasher, so he can subvert everyone's expectations. (laughs) And I'm saying that as a joke because I actually really like Ryan Johnson. But Dustin (laughs) doesn't, so I like to get my digs in every now and then. Oh, I think we should probably just move on to the next movie now. I watched a movie, and I quite liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
episode's awkward. It's almost like I try to enjoy this or something a little bit. <laughs> what? Um, it's masochism all the time. I just take chances. We take <laughs> chances. So I was really excited to check this one out. Um, it screened at Fantasia when I was checking stuff out there. But uh, I guess they knew it was going to be good somehow, so they made it an in-person-only screening. Oh. I think, Michael, you've encountered this too a little bit. It seems like when they know they've got the hit, they're a little tighter on that uh, release. Or at least when they... They think it's going to be a hit. Or they, when they think it's going to be a hit or they can squeeze the money out of you. Mm-hmm. That's what they're... Mm-hmm. So um, I checked out by blind buying the Blu-ray, The Night House, directed by David Bruckner. I was super excited. I want to see that one. This is the guy, um, The Ritual, which is Netflix, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah see? That's and that film's Netflix amazing. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'd also know him for what? He did a segment in VHS and... One also, of the good ones, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And was it Southbound? I think he... Yes. Yeah. I think I've only seen a tiny bit of Southbound. It was okay. Yeah, but um, so it's a real, it's a real simple plot, real simple setup. Um, it's about this woman and her husband has suddenly and out of nowhere committed suicide. Kind of left this cryptic letter behind, and they live in this lakeside home. And she's kind of trying to deal with the aftermath of that, and her grief and her confusion about why this happened. Um, it is very art house horror, very quote elevated if you want to say that Mm. Um, could slot right in there with any a24 film but as she's sort of processing things and kind of deciding whether she wants to like sell the house or what she's going to do she starts to find out uh things about her husband that she didn't quite know about Uh oh and it starts to cast him in a different light and she kind of gets uh gets real weird and real creepy Oh man, that sounds great i can't wait to see it i love that kind Um, of movie i've talked about this do you remember when i messaged you guys about this in like a couple months ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. We were ago. talking about it, and I was super excited to see it. But then the I read the synopsis, and I was like, this is going to put me in a depressive state that I'm not <laughs> yeah, going to well, be able to get out of. I should say, like, trigger warning. If stuff were, like, they dwell heavily on suicide, suicidal thoughts and stuff like that, if that's a issue for you, definitely tread careful when you watch it. But it's so good, man. It's just, ah. Oh, oh, I can't wait. The, the twists and turns and the way the thing unfolds and develops and then, like, where it ends up. I don't want to spoil anything because it is so new, but like it's it kind of gets into that vein of like the Baba Duke, right? Where there's like a straightforward story, but then also so much of that can be a metaphor for other things. Oh, you mean subtext? Yes, and you're just mm. like fuck. Yes, man, this is so good. <laughs> uh, the lead is played by Rebecca Hall, and she gives an incredible performance. The range of like emotion that she goes through. Very I cool. think this is actually on Netflix. I don't, I don't think it is. I it's, don't know who has it. You can rent on Amazon right now. I know that it's in my queue. I think I know it's going to stream somewhere. I just don't know right. where yet, or if they've announced it. Or... We'll find out. Uh, There's no way to know. <laughs> There's absolutely no way to know. No way to know. This was like instant five stars for me. So definitely check it out. Go look for it. If you love the Babadook, any of those other A24 kind of films, this is like automatic boom. I'm nice. super excited to see. Get it. at it. I'm gonna wait for a little while, but yeah, maybe down it. the road after it's had some more time to be out there, I would. Probably bring this in as an episode because I think there's a lot of stuff to discuss about it. But Ooh, very cool, nice. We'll, we'll see. So yeah, that's me, the Night House, David Bruckner. Very good. Okay, well, um, I committed a grave error last time and talked about a crappy movie when I should have talked about a really great movie I had seen. <laughs> I want to talk about the new Dune movie. Yay! Yes, uh, I'm a big Dune fan. Um, I was actually exposed to Dune from the David Lynch version back in 84. Like a lot of us were. Yeah. And I, I, even then I knew it wasn't a good movie, <laughs> but you cannot deny that it's an interesting movie. 
and there's a lot of cool parts and components of it. And I like it, it. For some reason, it resonated with me. I read the novel later on, and it's one of my favorite books. And then there was the uh, Sci-Fi Channel miniseries thing they did, which... Mm, I never, I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah. They tried. They tried. They tried. But I, I think that um, the new one, Denis Villeneuve... Mm-hmm. Is that more, a little more French, please. Villeneuve. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he's pretty much a home run here. Of course, it's only the first half. We haven't seen the second part yet. But I have a few quibbles, but mostly, I mean, if you like science fiction and you like thoughtful, well-done science fiction and you haven't seen this, go watch it. I would also plug the book as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Books are classic. If you haven't read it yet, I read it for the first time this earlier this year because mm-hmm. I wanted to read it before the movie came out. And I'd seen Lynch's Dune, but I still feel like Lynch's Dune was so far out of left field <laughs> that the book was still like a... Whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, he, he takes a lot of liberties with Just it. Just imagine if we had gotten uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. I've seen. I still see. Um, actually, just the other day, a big uh, concept art set book that was considered lost just went up for auction. That's cool. Of nice. that. They made a documentary about that, like the whole production and how Jodorowsky's movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been insane. Uh, but yeah, I mean, go watch Dune if you haven't seen it. It's great. I Fun. would. I think that you're right, though. Like, you didn't end up seeing it in theaters, right? I did not. I actually watched it at home. But I think you're right. That would have been that would have been worth COVID. <laughs> yeah. I always meant to go watch it again in the theater. I just haven't made it yet. I wanted to see it, and I just haven't been able to line up the time to, to get out and go. Well, get out and go see it. It's hard. Like, I want to talk about this, about doing so much, but you haven't seen it. I mean, it I know yet, the so plot. I've I know, the but there's like, I don't know. I feel like casting was pretty... Sp- spot on like aside from one thing that jason and i have talked about with my issues with lady jessica but oh yeah well um no everyone's really good yeah i mean god speaking of david lynch's doom dean stockwell recently passed away so we should say a little sad you know, sad yeah, sad news that day. dean stockwell because he's awesome he was great as dr yui in the lynch version do you guys just want to sit and talk about Dune today? I don't really care about it. <laughs> I don't really care about Hold the Dark anymore. Let's just do Dune exposure. And don't forget Dean Stockwell in one of your favorite director's movies, Blue Velvet. Yes. So creepy. So good. And also... Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar, yeah. yeah. Lots of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Go watch Dune if you haven't seen it. It's fun. It's awesome. It's on it's HBO Max and in theaters, I think. Nice. It's my pick. It's my pick. It's my pick. Okay. <laughs> so right out of the gate, Hold the Dark 2018. It's on Netflix. I'm trying to get the stuff, but why is IMDb asking me how many stars would I rate Hold the Dark? Why is there so many stars? <laughs> how many stars are there? There's like 10. Just double your number. I gave it. Okay. Yeah, they do, they do from, one from 10 on IMDb. Why? Yeah. That's No one else does that. <laughs> And they just ruined it because I had it all pulled up and ready to go. Well, listen, we don't do that. Listen, if we don't do that. No one should do that. I'm letterboxed for life, yo. So I just rated it. I <laughs> ten just... is too many. I think ten is too okay. many. Okay, all right. So, what <laughs> genre is this film? That's always the best place to start before we even get into what it is or what's going on. Everything but comedy. Everything but comedy <laughs> or musical. I think I want to firmly put this one into just straight drama. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, IMDb calls it action drama thriller. I would not call this an action film. and I, think I don't know. I, I disagree. There I, are some scenes, yes. But I think one of the problems that it had was that people were expecting Green Room 2. Right. And we'll talk about that. I think thriller is fair. I would say thriller. Yeah, I could see thriller. A dramatic thriller, maybe, is what I would but say. But I hate to use the term thriller because thriller is such a cop-out way. Like, I well, hate... thr- thriller is different from horror. Thriller is its own thing. Thriller is more about mysteries and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's fair. I could also easily see calling this like an art housey horror film. Well, mm-hmm. sure. It's Definitely. Saulnier. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes. Directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Saulnier. Um, Saulnier. 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 A lot of French tonight. Saulnier. Um, it was based on a book by William Giraldi, which came out, what, like 2015? I think that's like right, that. yes. Um, but screenplay, we can't get through this episode without talking about him. Um, Macon Blair. Macon Blair, which, Destin, I'm not sure if you're very familiar with Macon Blair, but he is one of uh, Saulnier's close friends. He's he was, acted in some of the other films, He's right? been in all yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's actually a pretty prolific writer. Mm. Um, and has done quite a few things, but he starred in Blue Ruin. Uh, he was a star in that. He popped up in Green Room mm-hmm. um, as kind of a right-hand Nazi man, and God, he was fucking wicked and evil <laughs> in that movie. Um, he was also in Murder Party, which was one of... That's his first movie. Yeah. Um, actually, I think Blue Ruin was... Oh, no, yeah, that's right. Murder Party was 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um but then Macon Blair has gone on to do like some of his own stuff as well. He had his own directorial debut with this really... Isn't he doing the Toxic Avenger? He is, yeah. yeah. Um, he did this also really quirky movie um, called I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. I meant to watch that. I still That's also know. Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. It's real quirky. Um, I think he's big in the Austin scene. Mm-hmm. Like in the... Um, so, I don't know. Maybe Erica knows him. Cool. Let's just say, hey, Erica, do you know Macon Blair? Um, anyway, <laughs> so of uh, Saulnier's other films, uh, have we all seen all of them? I think collectively? I have. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I was just looking. I'm a, to I'm make a big sure. fan. I freaking love Green Room. That was like one of my favorite movies that year. Green Room is pretty much the perfect film. Mm-hmm. It's. I think I, I, th- I told both of you guys this before. It's. I'm, I'm pretty. You know, I've seen a lot of movies. You know, we've all seen a lot of movies. We mm-hmm. know all the tricks and, 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 and halfway through this film, I was standing up. <laughs> watching it and I never sat down again. Yeah, it's yeah. it's adrenaline like it's amazing. through and yeah. through. I'm yelling at the TV, you know. I never do that. I don't do that. And for me, and I'm sure it was for you too, Michael, the whole focus on like the little punk band just uh, like trying to make oh, it get by. Man. Like that spoke to me so much. That venue is so spot on. We've it been there. So we've realistic. been we've been we've <laughs> with, with fewer skinheads, but yes. <laughs> I don't know. Some of the shows we've been to well, now. If you go I'm to starting, a Slayer show, you're gonna get I'm starting skinheads. to question now. Yeah, some like, of the... I think I need to leave like right when the show's done. Like, <laughs> like actually since I watched Green Room, any metal show I've been to, I start looking at boots. Yeah. <laughs> I found myself looking at boots and I'm Boots and laces. Yeah, and I'm like, uh oh. (laughs) And I've seen a couple, and I'm like, "Mm, I'm gonna stay over here now. Yeah. Well. So, uh, yeah, but I think um, we're gonna wind up talking about green room too much. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Saulnier's created a a kind of an interesting career, I think, Mm -hmm. but mostly settled in the same genre. Like Murder Party was really the only one that kind of veers off into a bit of that quirky, goofy territory. Mm -hmm. Well, it's mostly a comedy. Yeah, but it's still heavy hitting. It has some serious. I think the moments where it hits, it's right in line with Blue Ruin and Green Room. Yeah, in those moments. 
Um, the people that I've recommended Blue Ruin to have either loved it or hated it, which I kind of think is one of those also Saulnier things. Like you either are a hundred percent in on what he's doing mm-hmm. or you're like, I don't know. That's just not for me. So you either like it or you're wrong is what you're saying. And it's okay <laughs> to be wrong. I, for him, I'll go as far as to say that. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, he's got another film in the works again with Netflix. Uh, it's called rebel Ridge. There's not a lot of details out about it yet. He's it sounds like a war movie. Um, he's pretty tight-lipped on interviews. He did some interviews around Hold the Dark, though, but um, he directed a couple episodes in season three of um, True Detective. Yeah. Ooh. But apparently that was a bad thing. Um, there's been a lot of recent talk about how Nick um, Pazzoluto, the guy who created True yeah. Detective, right. is apparently kind of a tyrant mm-hmm. on set right. and really difficult to work with, which is one of the reasons season two tanked. Um, and hmm. Saulnier left. He actually didn't direct any more episodes. Oh, really? Uh, he wow. doesn't talk on record about it because he said he doesn't want to give beef. Just wants to be done. Like he wants to do his own thing. He's like, I just want to tell I stories. I respect that. I respect that. Classy guy. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't want to talk on record about that. I just want to tell my stories. Like I want to direct my movies. Well, he's very, he's very much his own creative force. I mm-hmm. don't think he needs anyone telling him what to do. Basically. Yeah. Um. So. So we talk about this film about Hold the Dark being in that A24 vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, this was going to be an A24 film. Oh, um, A24 had, and God, the more I read about this, the more I just don't understand the film industry. <laughs> like <laughs> all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Um, but apparently, it had to do with foreign distribution rights, hmm. and they wouldn't. Like, A24 was dealing with the foreign markets who said, no, if these people, if these actors aren't in it, we won't distribute it. Uh-huh. And they knew Saulnier was going to be like, no, I really want these people in it. Mm-hmm. So essentially, they just had to make a mutual arrangement to say, no, we're just going to have to let each other go. And he said it was super sad because A24 didn't want to let go mm-hmm. of the project because they loved it. He loved A24. Um, but then he said Netflix came in and said... We know who you are. We like what you do. Um, You can cast whoever you want. And he said, and I wanted to bring this up too, because it kind of talks about your Netflix. See, I wanted to get into this because I dog on them a lot. I don't know what makes it happen. Some stuff they have like a heavy hand in. And I notice I always tend to hate those, but then there's other projects they do where they're just kind of like, Hey, you director guy, here's like this amount of money. Go bring us something. So I think he touched on that in an interview. Oh, really? And he said, basically, Netflix has a different um, uh, risk assessment analysis Mm. on films than normal production companies do. And basically, I mean, Netflix has the weirdest algorithms anyway of how they decide what stays and what goes. But basically, it was like, okay, your film costs this much. Well, based on who you want to put in it. And our risk assessment says that's pretty low risk for us, so just do what you want to do. Mm. And he said it was kind of a dream come true for him because they just stayed away. They just said they just said, Cool, do your thing. If it tanks, it tanks, you know. And that's the way he viewed it too, was like, Okay, well if nobody watches this, cool. I can <laughs> go do another Kickstarter and make another movie, which I think is how Murder Party got made. Uh, Blue Ruin was the Blue one Ruin was on, the Kickstarter. Which I remember he didn't want to do it really because he said he, I think he said a thing about like it felt weird to fund it that way. But dude, if people want to support you, like yeah, go for it. And I think since Hold the Dark came out, he said if and he made the statement in this interview that if I ever get put in director jail, I'll at least know I can make movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I've yeah. got a way to do it. So. 
Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'll stop sucking him off for a second. And then, um, <laughs> so what is this film about? Um, so, after the death of three children suspected to be killed by wolves, writer Russell Core is hired by the mother of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate her son in the Alaskan wilderness. So that's the basic premise of the film. Um, and the film starts with um, pretty remote location. This is the kind of Alaska that you see like on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Of like the people who are dragging like two by fours up a hill to build a shack. Right. Kind of a thing. Um, but also this village that they are in is heavily populated by um, native Alaskans. Um, I, I'm not sure. Inuit is not the term because they're not of Inuit tribe. Hmm. Um, so that's not the correct term. So I was hoping you knew because I didn't. Um, it's questionable because there's some people who don't like Native Americans because Alaska wasn't technically originally American. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to say Native peoples of the territory of Alaska. Okay, cool. That's where I'll go with. Um, but yes, so their culture is heavily steeped within the film. Um, I think the pronunciation of the tribe, though, is Yupik. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I hope I don't butcher that. Um, but essentially, we see Russell Core, who is played fantastically. Um, I always forget his name. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright. Wright. Jeffrey yeah. Wright. I always want to call him Jeffrey Rush, and it's not <laughs> wrong. Wrong Jeffrey. Wrong one. <laughs> I always want to call him Felix Leiter. That would be a very different film if it was Jeffrey Rush. Um, <laughs> there's little choices about Jeffrey Wright's how he chose to play this character, and they're quirky. Like, the fact that he gave him a cold mm-hmm. was so interesting. Like, it kind of plays in the story, but at the same time, it's like, you carried it through the whole movie. <laughs> it's interesting, because I had some questions as I went through this, and I suspected that the novel cleared them up, and I didn't have the time to read it all, but I kind of skimmed, just to, like, dig for yeah. the things I was wondering about. And that cold thing is, like, much more of a plot point in the book. Okay. There's actually a segment where I think it's kind of like when you're transitioning from the first half to the second half. Where he gets like laid up for like a week or two because he has this real bad cold. Right. Yeah. Kind of like puts him out of the picture for a bit. Hmm. So um, Russell Core receives this letter from the mother of a of a child who's been killed by wolves. Um, Medora Sloan. Medora Sloan, played by Riley Keough. I finally looked it up to see how to pronounce her name. Riley. Do you guys Keough. know who her fucking mom is? <laughs> no. But I hope you'll tell us. Lisa Marie Presley. Her grandfather's Elvis. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I was like, holy shit. Okay. But anyway. Podcast favorite actress. Yeah, she's been in like three movies that we've talked about (laughs) or something. Um, But the the film kind of opens with we see her child playing out in the snow. And um, then we don't see him again. He looks up as a wolf in the distance. mm -hmm. Right, right. It very much gave me the vibe of like the witch mm-hmm. mm. um, when they have like the baby out and then, like you know it's there and then you kind of look away and go back and it's gone. Right. And there's a scene where uh, it switches from that to Medora in the house and she's closing a door and locking it with a padlock. Padlock. Yeah. Right. Which it's well, obvious that's a plot point. Yeah. Why are you showing me this? <laughs> yeah. Right. But and then check off padlock. <laughs> and but then next he's not there anymore Mm -hmm. and um and she writes him this letter yeah and so russell's character is a 
behavior specialist in wolves, I mm-hmm. guess. He studied and tracked wolves for most of his professional life. And Published written... a book called A Year Among Them. Yeah. Um, so kind of a quirky guy, but seems to be the main knowledge mm. on this source. And the kind of the reason she's even reaching out to him, it's in, they mention it in the film, but I think it's detailed more in the book. In his like year of being out in the wilderness and studying wolves, this situation happened where a girl got abducted and he ended up having to shoot a wolf to save her. Hmm. Yeah, because she mentions that you, you've shot them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how did that feel? And he's like, terrible. Yeah. Um. So as he arrives, we start to see like how mentally unstable Medora is. Oh, and in that arrival, the music's amazing for this film. Yeah, it's great. You get all. It's what you want in like an A twenty four style film where it's him kind of driving in. And there's these big, beautiful, scenic shots of the Alaskan wilderness and just this booming music playing. It's very ominous. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing is ominous all the time. And even in the really slow parts of the film, there's just dread. Mm-hmm. There's nothing but dread throughout the whole thing. Um, so when he arrives, he talks to Medora a little bit about the situation. Um, Medora makes some really interesting statements. And I think that those carry... If you pay attention, I think, in those in that first interaction with her, because we're actually not going to see her for the rest of the film. Um, yeah, what a ripoff. <laughs> well, she walks out <laughs> naked, and now she's done. <laughs> she makes a lot of statements um, that very much are confessing to him that she's killed her son. Like, in these very cryptic, roundabout ways of, like, trying to say that she had to do it, you know, to protect him I don't from know the that dark. That obvious. Well, they're they're very vague and roundabout, kind of. For me, then she tells him she starts talking about like um, she brings up the hot springs that are in the area, and she says that's the only place she can get feel clean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pretty soon after that, you see her in the bath, like scrubbing, and it's almost like she's scrubbing off guilt, guilt, sin, and what have you. Um, and it. But we see this mask on the wall that's a... Um, kind of a wolf-looking mask. Yeah, and in the Yupik um, culture, masks are very um, interwoven into their religion and their culture. And their culture is almost... Uh, or their religion is almost an animism. Mm-hmm. So a lot of their shamans take on these really... Um, cr- if you ever get a chance to look them up, these crazy-looking, like, full animal suits mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And they're nightmarish. Um, but it's such an animistic culture that that's kind of how it sure. circles around. Um, but then she essentially walks out wearing nothing but the mask um, and then crawls into bed <laughs> with Russell. And he's like, uh. <laughs> yeah. And she grabs his hand and puts it up to her throat. Yeah. Yep. And to me, that was that's the biggest tell. That's where I suspected something weird was going on. But the earlier conversation kind of just seemed... Also, she's wearing a wolf mask, and the kid yeah. was taken by a wolf. And she's naked zone. with a dude she just met. <laughs> Some other interesting things, I think, from the early conversations. Um, they kind of get in this debate about, like, she wants him to find the wolf and kill it. Right. And he's like, well, I came here to help you sort of understand what happened. I don't want to kill it. And he basically said, I'm not yeah. going to find your boy alive. Mm-hmm. Like, if you think that that's what's going to happen, it's not. And the point she raises is that the father, her husband... He is overseas in the war. Yeah, he's in Iraq. Mm. 
uh, fighting the or Middle Afghanistan, East. Afghanistan, sorry. Afghanistan. Um, and she says, you know, I have to have something to show him when he comes back. Right. Because he doesn't, he doesn't even know at this point, the right. father. Um, so now we get the cut, basically, to go see who her husband is. Mm. Um, I'm going to be honest. I did not like this. The, How so? What do you mean? It's like they build all this atmosphere of like the winter and you know this Alaska setting, and it cuts the code harsh, bright desert it, day. Yeah, boom! It cuts, and you're like in a war film in the desert. I have a theory about this that I'll get into later. And it was such a stark jump, and a lot of the stuff I saw, I was like, "Do I need to see this to understand this character?" I think I let you know what his nature is right off the bat, because mm. when we're introduced to him, he is very. He's in a, a gun- in a detached manner. Mm-hmm. He is shooting down some insurgents, whatever, with a fifty caliber machine gun, and like he takes off his you know mask he's wearing or whatever it is, the kerchief. And, I mean, it's just a blank expression. Nothing, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, cold as ice. And even one of his um, soldier buddies gets out of the Humvee that he's in. He's like, "You are a stone cold killer," yeah. you know, like yeah, <laughs> basically just how the fact that he just. Everything was methodical. Yeah. Um, but then we get the... I think we get a better look at... I'm not sure that scene was needed. That, that's my thing, too, is it's like... They say you should show, don't tell, but I feel like they could have just told us some things about him, and I would have got this just as well, hmm. and we never would have had to have, like, broken I that think, vibe and that, that wintry world they've plunged you into. I think what we see him do next might be... I think is worth showing, because it... I think that shows his nature a little more than the machine gun kills. So we see him back in um, like one of the Afghanistan towns or whatever. It's the one they've occupied. And he hears, like he's just walking around smoking a cigarette or whatever. And he hears something and goes to a window and he sees one of the American troops raping. It's actually the guy that gets out of the SUV. Was that him? Okay. Um, He sees him raping a woman and he, he's coldly and calmly, like sets his cigarette down on the windowsill, like walks in, takes out his knife and just destroys the dude, like grabs him by the arm, pulls him off of the girl and like pops him in the ribs like five or six times with the knife. Then gives the girl the knife. And I think that's (laughs) the most telling right there about his, about his demeanor is he's like, the guy's dead. There's, he's not going to live from this, but he turns and hands it to her. Like you need this. And then just walks the fuck out, picks up his cigarette again. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then gets shot in the neck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's our key to get him back home. Right, right. Um, and that, he, that sets up, they kind of tell him, like, you know, oh, you're going to be okay and you're going to go home. Yeah. Um, so once he gets home, then he's now discovered that... Well, there's the whole uh, tracking part that's before that. Right, where Russell goes out uh, on his own to try to track the wolf pack. Um, Great visuals there. It's beautifully shot. Yeah. Uh, most of that shot in Canada, mm. I think mm-hmm. um, they. It was probably the most. They said it was the most easily accessible place they could shoot that film. Right. And um, while he's tracking, he finds the hot springs that she told him about. Right. Which that's kind of like he he notices it and it's like oh file that it's one yeah, of there's there's a cave there yeah. too. He starts to investigate and leaves. Um. He finally finds the wolf pack, and they're doing something curious that he didn't expect. They're like eating one of their young. Yeah. Which he goes on to explain is not uncommon mm-hmm. in a wolf pack if certain things are met. So, like, if the pack is stressed or if the pack is without food, mm-hmm. you know, basically whatever will preserve the pack. Yep. It's not uncommon for them to do this, to eat their young. 
But I think we're immediately setting up the allegories, mm-hmm. you know. And it's a good scene too, where like they notice him and uh-huh. they start to approach him, and you think it's going to be like well, he's going to have to kill them for his own survival. And then they kind of just stare at him a little bit, and then just run off, take off. There's for me, there was something that I caught. I caught a lot more on the second viewing of this one because um, it's only my second time watching it, but. I noticed a lot of similarities between the mannerisms of the wolves in that wolf pack and the mannerisms of the characters. Mm. Like, um, but there's another character that we'll get to um, that's essentially part of their own pack or whatever. But mm. like, um, you almost saw a whole lot of, um, oh, what's his name? Vernon? Mm-hmm. Yep, Vernon Sloan. That's the yeah Sloan Sloan. I keep wanting to call him Cole, but that's the, that's played by yeah. Alexander Skarsgård, who personally I think was awesome. Oh, he's very good. The whole Skarsgård family is just great. Yeah, like do they have like a brother that can't do anything? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. We don't hear about him. And that poor guy is just like I'm an accountant. <laughs> I'm the Skarsgård accountant. I'm the boring Skarsgård. <laughs> um, but I saw a lot of. I think we're supposed to though. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're supposed to see a lot of sure. That same behavior in yeah. them. And that's a great scene, but the only thing that really bothers me is that earlier we see uh, Medora putting tape on his gun over the barrel, which is fine because that will keep out you know any dirt or debris that might get in there. But uh, Core is struggling to get the tape <laughs> off before the wolves are upon out? him. Yeah. I mean, it, it would just it would blow right through that tape. It's not like sticking your finger in a barrel of a gun. I kind of wondered that too. I was like, can you just shoot right Just shoot right through it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that anyway, was a little... Yeah. And it's it, it not like he needed the sight either because he had a scope. He wasn't using Listen, the... he's a behavior expert, not a marksman. <laughs> but the wolves right. essentially leave him alone. Yeah. They decide he's not worth the kill or he's not worth the threat or whatever. Oh, and when he starts this whole like tracking affair, there's another character we should talk about. It's it's an elderly woman mm-hmm. that's in this little village. Uh, Keyloot's the name of the place, right? Which has a meaning yes. of its mm-hmm. own, if you've looked that up. I've got it in my notes. Okay. But we'll get to it later. All right. Um. Yeah, and she kind of like says some weird cryptic stuff to him. Oh yeah, but I love the line that he says though. Um, she starts talking to him about that woman as darkness, mm-hmm. and that, and she says you're going in the wrong direction if you're trying to track the right, evil. Right. But it's what Russell's statement to her that I think was so profound is he said that woman's just full of grief, mm-hmm. and um, they're both right. <laughs> they are, yeah. So there's more of like her stuff, ramblings and stuff in the book, and I actually pulled out a passage because I really liked it, and I kind of wish this line was in the film almost because I think it, I think it would add to have this present. But uh, it's during this exchange where she's like telling him stuff, and she says um, he he's kind of like saying like what he's doing and stuff and explaining things, and then she says, "You would bar the door against the wolf. Why not more against beasts with the souls of damn men?" against men who would damn themselves to beasts. Hmm. Hmm. That is nice. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> that is nice. <laughs> Such a nice statement. She kind of, she's great. I, I, I've seen her in several other things before, but I, I, she was awesome. And she kind of plays the harbinger type character or whatever. But I, I still, so my wife is one of the reasons that I chose this movie because she's talked about it for the last two years. Oh, wow. Um, and she still hasn't decided if she likes it, mm. but she keeps talking about it and bringing it up. And she keeps trying to determine the meaning of the film. Mm. And interestingly, um, Sonia said in that interview, there is no meaning of the film. Like, 
this film is specifically designed that you can put, you can look at it through so many different lenses and it will become. It's whatever you want it to be. That for you. And I, and I think that's ends up what made it so powerful for me is that it has so like, I could watch this movie in like 20 different ways Mm -hmm. with that lens on and see. Right. And it's not going to explain things to you. It's not going to spell everything out for you. You have to bring your own interpretations to the table for this movie. So when Cole gets back um, from his, he falls and is like, really turns out to be a shitty ass tracker at that point. <laughs> He's like, I'm one of the best trackers, wolf trackers, but I fell down this hill and kind of sucked. Um, but once everybody rolls a one every once in a yeah. while. Dude. <laughs> but once he gets back, he notices um, that Medora's gone. Yep. Can't find her at all. Totally missing. And so he's kind of wandering her little house shack thing and sees this lock that we noticed from the first scene. It, it is the Chekhov's padlock. That's right. That we've and been it, waiting for. It's it open. unlocked, yeah. And so he goes down. It turns out to go downstairs into like a little cellar area. Mm-hmm. And he goes downstairs and finds the body of the child. Wrapped up in plastic. Yeah. Yep. But and, who killed Laura Palmer? so he goes running out you know he's obviously horrified by Mm -hmm. what he's found and he goes running out and like starts screaming while the whole town comes out essentially they run downstairs see that the boy is dead or whatever and it's like the town goes into the mode of like we know what to do Mm -hmm. they just but this has apparently happened before right um and I need to look up the name of the guy. Um, You're talking about uh, Chion? Chion, yes. Uh, Vernon's buddy in the village. Um, so Chion is also... Julian Black Antelope. Just stop asking me if I want to rate Hold the Dark. I already told you. <laughs> Just go ahead and rate it. Just do it. I Just did, and it wants me. me to sign in, and I don't want to sign in right now. We'll also write a review for it, though, too, at the same time. <laughs> um you're not busy, right? You're not doing anything. Yeah, I'm not doing anything right now. Let me just write this. Let me record this and put it on IMDb. Um, do talk to text. Yeah, so they end up basically acting like they know what they're going to do. Um, mm-hmm. But then police show up. Yep. And I personally really... I was trying to think... The guy's name is James Badgedale, the actor, um, who plays the sheriff, I guess. That's... Yeah, Sheriff Merriam. Yeah, Donald Merriam. He's been in a ton, a ton of shit. He's really good in this. I was trying to think of what I'd seen him in at some point, and it was Iron Man 3. Um, that's mm. where I recognized him. Unfortunate <laughs> film. Jason's like, mm. <laughs> uh, but I was—he has a very familiar face. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, is telling Russell like, "We're gonna, we're going to take care of this or whatever." I'm sorry that you found, but I'm going to stick mm-hmm. around. Like, we need to ask you some questions. Yeah, they want his statement because yeah. he says that all the local people will kind of give them this like mystical mumbo jumbo about everything. They call her a Tornock, mm-hmm. which is. A wolf spirit, an evil wolf spirit, which hmm. actually, if you look up Tornock, you won't find much. Um, so I think it's a colloquial term mm-hmm. for the Yupik tribe, which there's not a lot of info on the Yupik tribe. Um, but yeah, they call him. But it made the, me think of like, uh, you think about like the original idea of like what the Wendigo is. Yeah. Where it's like a spirit that possesses someone that like drives them to cannibalistic acts. Yeah. So it kind of had that same vibe to me. Yeah, for sure. They end up taking. Um, Everybody ends up going basically to the next town or the big town or whatever to where the police station is, doing all that kind of stuff. Well, and this is where yep. Vernon comes home. Vernon comes home, and it's 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 a great scene because he's he's arriving at the airport. He's leaving stone cold. I mean, he has, he's so expressionless with the whole movie, really. Yeah, 
And Cheon meets him there. First thing Cheon does is hand him a knife. Yeah. It's just like... like, a hunting knife. Yeah, it's just like he's done this before. Probably one of my favorite scenes in the film is at the police station where they introduce uh, Cor to Vernon. Yes. And they're like, hey, this is the author that your wife, you know, had come out here to try to help find your boy, da-da-da. We have him around. He might be helpful to you. And then he's like, oh, well, can you raise the dead? Yeah. And he's just like, no, I can't. And he's like, well, I don't have any use for you then. Right. There is a respect there, though, I think, between the two of them. Like, I don't think that Vernon gives respect too easily. But he almost... To me, he looks at Russell the way the wolves looked at Russell. Hmm. Like when they they look at him like you're not you're not what I want right now. Like mm-hmm. you're not worth the effort. But I also think there's like a, a small bit of sympathy in him that you got dragged into this. You know, like maybe that's me reading that in there because I don't hmm. think Alex I don't think Scarsgard gives you that in the character that much because everything's so cold. Um but after that scene, we see Vernon go and see his son mm-hmm. in the morgue. That's the most emotion you see from him. Yeah, yep. I think I, it's a very beautiful scene. I think too. Um, I was talking to Piper about it though. It's the way he views his son. It's not so much like grieving. Um, it's not like grieving what was lost. But I think um, Gian's statement later makes more sense as to what he says about his child. Um, but he basically kind of coldly... There's a flashback, too. Is it during this part where he has the flashback? I think so. Um, and it's him about to leave to go to the war, and he tells his son he'll always be with him. Yeah, I think it, I think yeah. he had that flashback when he got shot, wasn't it? It might be, yeah. yeah. It might have happened a little it earlier. It was mixed in there, but that's right. also when the first time um, his son, he took him hunting, mm-hmm. and his son had his first kill. Yep. Um, he asked him how it felt. And the kid said, real good, real good. But then the kid said, you know, they say you've killed people. And he's like, yeah. And it's so cold the way he says it. He's mm-hmm. like, a lot of people are going to tell you you're not supposed to do that. But he's like, sometimes it's necessary to defend what you love and what you need. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an interesting, really <laughs> fucked up thing to say to a kid about And, and there's no mention of him being a soldier at this point either. Like, he did it in the service of his country. He, maybe he did this... Yeah. Because he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. You know? Or, yeah, for, yeah, you don't really get that backstory. Um, but then basically him and, am I saying, is it Gian? It's Gian. 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 Um, they essentially get together outside of the police station and they're talking about what they're going to do next with the, the police officers. Yeah, and, and the cops are like, leave it to us. We're going to find her. She's like on foot. She can't go far. And they've got a, the they've vehicle. got a folder on her. Yeah, they say we've already yeah. got some leads. And they fucking take out a gun and shoot down the cops. <laughs> it's that weird thing. They just kind of look at each other and it's like they both just know what's going to happen, even though they haven't really even like talked through everything yet. Yeah, they take a gun out and shoot the two cops that are there, like kill mm-hmm. them immediately. Yep, grab the file. Kill them, break into the police station. Kill, they kill the coroner, right? They I think. kill the coroner. They do kill the coroner, yeah. They take the child's body. Um, and then they go and perform a ritual, mm-hmm. I guess, a ritual of their... It's another uh, you pick ritual yeah where they basically bloodlet and um paint sigils and markers on the coffin or whatever Mm -hmm. um and it seems to be very important in their culture to have the body Mm -hmm. like that seems to be very important because you you learn that that chion's child was taken 
were killed by wolves, but they never got the body back. Right. Um, which was basically ended up to being how the type of character he is from then on. Um, so now that kind of starts this whole shitstorm of like, oh fuck, these guys uh-huh. just killed cops yeah. <laughs> in a really small Alaskan town <laughs> where everyone knows everybody. And it's pretty obvious what you know Vernon's endgame is. He's gonna find Medoro and kill her. Mm-hmm. Right. It's basically we're gonna handle this in house. You know, yep. you don't get to track her. I do. And as the aside to that, uh, with Russell, we get a little more backstory on him. It comes up a bit earlier, too, I think, but when he's at the hotel by himself is when they kind of focus on it more. Uh, he's like He's got a daughter, and he's like estranged from her. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that he kind of wants to like reconcile with her, and this whole trip and doing all of this sort of brings all of that back to the surface for him. Well, because his daughter teaches in Anchorage, mm-hmm. and so I think he thinks, I can get closer to her. Yeah. And maybe she'll want to see me while I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus, things go really poorly for him. <laughs> like, poor dude keeps getting sucked into every single thing. Yeah, because the, the sheriff kind of shows up and he's like, hey, we got a situation. Uh, come with me. <laughs> um, so do we need, are we ready to get to the, the big part, I guess? Sure. Yeah, I think okay. I mean, there's, there's a little, I mean, we don't have to hit everything. There, yeah, there's I mean, like there's... little things interspersed in there, but. Um, it hits Russell while he's in his hotel room with his mm-hmm. cold or whatever that, oh shit, like there's something that this old native woman told me. Yeah. And so he calls for the sheriff. Sheriff's not in or detective. He's so like, he's like, hey, you need to check on her. So he's like, I'm going to go check on her. Mm-hmm. Well, Vernon's already been there. Yep. And spoken to her, found out what she knew, killed her. She's dead. He slits her throat. Mm. Um, and so now they're pretty much hot on the trail of Vernon and Medora. Mm-hmm. But Chian basically says, I'll hold him off. Mm-hmm. I'll keep him off you. Yeah, he just goes home. And, uh, <laughs> but sets up a giant, like, 50 cal machine gun. Yeah, belt fed. From. It's a great sequence because the sheriff goes up to him first, unarmed to talk to him. And that's where we get some of the great dialogue from Chian. Yeah, he. I think that's where it's important to say that. He tell like he doesn't. Chion doesn't like cops mm-hmm. because he said when his child went missing, police showed up for one day and they never came back. Mm-hmm. And basically, you don't care. Yeah, like what have you ever done for us? Basically, which yeah. I, I mean, is telling. I mean, for both Native American tribes and like, sure. I mean, and the part I like is he brings up this idea to the sheriff. That's like this is going to be the day where your wife's going to get that call that you're not coming home. Hand on mm-hmm. her belly. Yeah, yeah, and. Yeah, that's so foreboding. That is just oh ooh, yeah, it's chills. And that's when he talks about how, uh, like children are the future. You kill right. children, what do you have? Like he's got no problem killing men, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, for him that like without a future, there's nothing. Um, so basically, like when he realizes he's not gonna talk him down or whatever, they just go their separate ways. <laughs> Sheriff walks back to the car, takes his gun back, and. Fucking boom. Yeah, it's a great yeah. sequence because you're on the foreground is the sheriff and his deputies and stuff. And in the background, you see the house and there's this big double doors up on the upper floor. And they're talking and you know something's about to happen. But then, yeah, the doors just swing open and boom, 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 boom. And one of the deputies just 
his face, face disappears. Yeah. yeah, it's just it's horrific to watch. Like I will, but and I think this is a trademark of Saulnier. Is like anytime there's violence, it's very it's very realistic and very so raw. Visceral. And yeah. it's, it's that thing where like one second someone could be dead and it's done and they're gone and that's it. He doesn't linger on it. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't linger on the shots of the gore that much. It shows just enough. Right. It's yeah. all you need to see. Like you right. don't need to. That's not that kind of film. You know, like this isn't a gore piece. But it makes it makes it. I mean, I don't know shit about it, but it makes it realistic. It makes yes. it scary. And that's one of the things that's you know? talked about about Saulnier a lot is how realistic his violence is. Oh yeah, and he's talked. He doesn't in, glorify it one bit. No, and he's talked in interviews about how he struggles personally with a like he loves. He was apparently a VFX artist. Mm, that makes sense. Or SFX artist before. I see that. Yeah, I heard him say there was no CG in this movie. So all those great effects are all parked. And so that was, he's like, that's what I wanted to do. But he's like, that's not going to pay the bills for my daughters. You know, yeah. like I've got a, he was actually getting ready to give up on directing and just go be a camera operator just to make money, you know, wow. pay the bills. Um, but he said, you know, it's so hard because he loves cinema violence, but it's so hard when you're just inundated with real violence day right. in and day out. And this scene exemplifies that perfectly because it happened to me again when I was watching this. It's it's that yeah, it's that violence in the film. It, I get excited, <laughs> you know. And I don't mean that like in a. In a it's a different kind of excitement, <sighs> I think. Right. It's the it's, tension of the moment. You it, don't know what's going to happen. It's horrible, but also like okay, like when I saw RoboCop when I was a kid. RoboCop. I didn't say that very well. The violence was so over the top. And so gratuitous, it was intoxicating. <laughs> Do you ever think it's funny how much that was marketed to kids? Oh, yeah. being like a hard R. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the 80s for you, My man. kindergarten picture is me in a RoboCop shirt. <laughs> That's the 80s. <laughs> and a mullet. But it was just, it was electrifying. You know, it really was. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind oh, of yeah. disturbing, but it's also really exciting. And that's one of our problems because we still get that lizard part of our brain that loves violence. We like seeing this stuff. We really do. It's, I mean, it's... We prefer it to be fake, of course. It's mm. in our nature as much as we don't want to admit it. Yeah. It's it's in our animalistic nature. And I think that that's one of the things that action films and violent films help us to explore in a safe way to mm-hmm. have that outlet. And that's how it's... I think it's more dangerous to show action films where there's like all these PG-13 action films we have now. There's no blood. There's no consequences. You don't right. see you, what you, happens when you pull the trigger. Right. And that's not... I mean, okay, it could be fun, and it's fine, whatever. It's, it's but another it, level of detachment to the actual, like, consequences. Exactly. Right, right. There's no detachment from the consequences of what happens right here. Mm-hmm. He is literally just mowing down. Yeah, they're shooting at him, and, I mean, he's got some cover. He takes a couple of hits. You see him take a few but hits. But they're all firing, still. like... And they set up small arms and yeah, shotguns. And they set up the plot point. Most of them are like very like you know new. Yeah, they're green, very green. And his the sheriff's original idea is like we're just going to wait for the SWAT team to arrive. Yeah, but they don't have time. No, and he just unloads. And I think the the most visceral part is when he reloads. There was something about the way that that scene was shot. It was calculated. Like, he has already killed almost every single... And there's like 20 cops out there. Yeah, in the first wave, after it's done, you've got the sheriff, well, like one of the deputies, uh, Russell's still kicking around, and then like a handful. Yeah. yeah. And that's the whole police force. That's and there. those are the ones that have just been lucky enough to not get hit. They were mm-hmm. behind something that was thick enough that it wouldn't go through it. Yeah. And he just like... 
you hear nothing but the gunfire and then it just stops and he just reloads yeah, and calmly puts a belt in and you're yeah. like oh fuck there's more yeah. <laughs> like you're not getting out of this right um the sheriff is sneaking around the back of the house at this point right they get behind a rock it's him and the the like young most yeah. rookiest of rookie de- deputies yeah that seems fucking hard he tells him he's like i'm gonna run to the back of the house mm-hmm. when i go you're gonna unload your magazine at that window, and then you get behind this rock. His gun can't hit you behind this rock. Right, stay here. And the kids just still shaking because I'm not. Who wouldn't? <laughs> yeah, I seriously. mean, God, even if you were the most hardened, you know, yeah. military combat survivor, you're still going to see that, and that's going to fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Russell has crawled under a car. He's in the squad car. <laughs> Poor Russell, man. <laughs> he just keeps ending up in the wrong place. And but, you can tell, like, his mind's working. He's trying to find what he can do to help, but he knows, like, oh, I can't go out now because the second I go, mm-hmm. I'm just going to get blown away. Yeah. But the um, one of the other cops gets shot, goes down, and he's like, he doesn't die immediately, and he's kind well, of... It's, it's, it's that, the, it's, it's that kid. green kid that he's told to unload the clip on. Well, no, it's, it's the other one because that kid makes the decision to go try to help him. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right, right and, right. and Russell is laying under a car seeing what he's about to do. Mm-hmm. And he's like, don't... What are you doing? Yeah. Don't do that. And the kid just decides, like, it's in his nature. He's got to go get this guy up. He doesn't make it two steps. No. <laughs> and then Cora does the exact same thing to go out and help the kid. But what's interesting, though, is what Core does. Yeah. Core grabs a shotgun, basically, starts, like, full-on walking, yeah. blasting. Like, and so he knocks him down, essentially, like, to where he's provided enough suppressing fire that he stops to get up to where he can get to the kid. And he's dragging the kid away, and dude gets back up, and now Core is looking at him eye to eye. Yeah. And the dude's trained on him. But Core just yells, stop it. Yeah, <laughs> and the guy actually does. Mm-hmm. He looks at him and takes a moment. And what's interesting is he looks at him the way the wolves did, like the same way. It's like assessing his threat as to okay, well, who are you? I don't have any beef with you. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. just helping this kid. Yeah, you're not a cop. You're you're really nobody to me. But it's enough time that the sheriff has time to disarm this booby trap in the back door. Um, make it up the back steps and basically take out. And I love how they close it out too, because he brings back up that conversation. He's like, "I guess that call's not happening today." Yeah, and they're kind of just in this tense standoff. And Chion just decides to like yell and kind of raise up, like he he's says, "Boo!" Yeah. yeah, he's got a gun. Yeah, yeah like, he's holding a gun. Yeah, but he knew he's done. So mm-hmm. what's the point? You know. And it's like he just provoked him with fear to get him to finish him off. And I, I also think he knew that he was going to do more psychologically to him by making him kill him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to hurt him more th- by doing it that way. Um, but Jesus Christ, yeah, that. <laughs> then you're just kind of left with this. Sonia kind of hangs on the scene of the of the attic there, and mm-hmm. it's just nothing but shell casings. Yeah. And you just get a sense of what just happened, and it's just, it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. It's intense. I knew that scene was coming, because I've seen it before, but then... An interesting thing I like, too, is that during the initial, like, wave of firing, sometimes it'll just cut, and it shows you, like, some of the dogs in the village, and them yeah. just, like, freaking out about what's going on. Yeah. Um. So, now things kind of calm down a mm-hmm. little bit. Um, we start getting some more uh, plot... Plot drops. We get a lot more of Vernon now tracking mm-hmm. Medora. 
She's gone to... It's like a lodge that's near a a mining area. Yeah, a hunting lodge of some sort, um, which Vernon says he remembers being there as a child. Mm -hmm. Um, Medora has also made the statement at some point in the film that she never, she can't remember life without Vernon. Mm -hmm. She can't remember a time before him. Um, And apparently in the book, they're brother and sister. Yeah, so this is where we kind of start to get into this, and the film keeps it very vague. Yeah, they don't ever really go Um, there. He learns that Medora speaks to this tracker that they have, like, at the lodge that, like, people will talk to, and he'll take them out, like, through the area and stuff and all that. I love the things she says. The lady, (laughs) it's played by this great lady in the lodge who runs it, and she's like, oh, she wanted to talk to our Indian tracker. He ain't even an Indian. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's such a funny line. Um, But he goes to talk to this guy, and the guy's weird, like, deliciously weird. And he's like, oh, I know you. You came here when you were a little boy. Your dad brought you to me because he wanted wolf soil. Because wolf soil was going to fix you know, what was wrong with you. It he implies said, he had some kind of like psychological problem. He said problem. you were unnatural. Yeah. Okay, so that's what... In the book, they have an incestuous relationship, and that's what it's alluding to. There's a few more breadcrumbs in the film that connect it up. But yes, they are uh, incestuous uh, relationship. I got other theories on that. Okay. But, um, which they only hint about in the film. And in the novel, they make it very... Apparently she's Explicit. pregnant yes. in the novel. She's pregnant with another kid. Yeah. So, um, but during this conversation, Vernon notices, and there's all these masks on the wall, and the tracker kind of brings that up. It's a little bit of the lore that you were talking about. He doesn't yeah. go super in depth with it, and he says, "Hey, pick out a mask that you like, and you can have it. Sometimes you just need to put, you know, the mask on and let out all the stuff you keep bottled up inside." <laughs> and so he looks, and he picks out the same wolf mask that we've seen Medora have earlier in the film yeah and it's like uh it's almost like a transformation like he puts it on and just goes like slasher mode basically well, he says sometimes you need to let the wolf that's inside out on the outside mm-hmm. and it's like I, I think that's probably more culturally significant as to like play out these things in a safe way through because the um the Yupik culture was heavy into dance mm-hmm. and um like acting out things through dance. So I think that's probably a lot more of like, <laughs> hey, maybe don't go kill the whole tribe. Just dance it out, bro. Right, right. right. Um, but yeah, well, you can imagine everybody else who's come across Vernon um, has met the same fate now. Right. And so uh, Vernon does kill this guy. Um, but as he's leaving, old lady who runs the <laughs> uh, little B&B there She's coming out with a thirty out six and <laughs> and ends up popping him in the shoulder as he's trying to drive away, popping Vernon. Um which I didn't feel this scene was necessary at all, but it was really just a means to get making Blair in the movie. I didn't like uh the scene that followed this though, where he goes to see the friend to get patched up. That's making yeah, Blair. Yeah, it's yeah. just How come? It felt like suddenly we were in Blue Ruin or something, and it's like a totally different film for a second. It was strange. Um, I think it... I I could twist it. to. I could do some gymnastics in my head to fit it to the story. But ultimately, I don't know that it needed to be there. So what is the, the guy he goes to, it's like an old friend. He's a friend of Cheon. He has some like money problems, drug problems. And he basically, he knows like some medical stuff to like patch him up. Yeah. Um, but essentially that guy's, um, when Vernon wakes up from, he takes some painkillers or whatever mm-hmm. and they dig the, he gets drunk or whatever. They dig the shell out 
And when he wakes up, he's in there, dude's in there calling the cops, like, no, he's here, man, like, but you're going to have to pay me some special attention, like, let me off the hook, but you can come get him, and Vernon, here's the whole damn thing, yeah, and you're pulls like... the line out of the wall, and then making turns, making, I don't even know his character's name, I'll just call him Macon Blair. He doesn't matter. Yeah, and, uh... It's, he's, yeah. he's making Blair. He's making Blair, and uh, Vernon's wearing that wolf mask, and it's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he tells me, like, oh, hey, man, this was the plan. I was going to let you leave first. I'm in a lot of yeah. trouble here. <laughs> yeah, at first he's like, it's, it's not. It's Christmas. It's not Halloween, man. What's with the mask? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Vernon ends up just stabbing him directly through the top of the head with a knife. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, after he's done pleading for his life, he's like, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't fault Macon Blair because he was awesome in the scene. He's great. I loved his character. He's always good. I'm not sure it fit. I don't mind it. I mean, I it, guess... It, I guess it further intensifies Vernon's ruthlessness. Like, even friends aren't safe. You yeah. Know? Even though... I mean, I view that everybody within his family is his pack. And I view, like, even making Blair's character as part of his pack. That, you know, he, that even if you're in his pack, you're not safe. Because at this point, he's he has to set things right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're either with him or you're not. And meanwhile, very important scene back with uh, Russell and the sheriff. He goes to have dinner with the sheriff, meets his wife. There's some general exchanges there. And then kind of after the dinner, they're talking. And the sheriff kind of floats what's probably on everyone's mind that if you get to this far in the film, which is, you know, what's going on? Why is all this happening? He's trying to make sense of this. And he asks Russell... And he's like, well, you know, you're you're the police. You probably know better than me. And he's like, well, you you know, you study you studied wolves. You know behavior. What do you think's going on? And was it? He kind of says like, I, mean, I don't know if we're supposed to ever figure out what's yeah. going on. But he says that if he had to make a theory, uh, bu- 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 hold on, I put it in my notes here. Uh, he thinks that um, that Medora thought that she needed to save her son from this darkness that was within their family. Mm. Which that, if you get this incest angle, that kind of links it all back up again. We've got these, this breadcrumb about like something was wrong with Vernon since he was a kid. He was messed up weird, something wrong in the head. They've had this incestuous relationship. They've had this kid. And then ergo, she has this idea that so, you know, it's kind of carried down sure. through to the kid. But you don't really know about the incest at this point. No. Well, and know, it, but you could also say it's mental illness or it's mm-hmm. that dark psychopathy, I also, perhaps. Yeah, and I also think that they also allude to the fact that the sun goes down at like three thirty in the afternoon. So she's also plagued by. She makes the comment, "Don't you see? There's something wrong with the sky." Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's plenty of documentation on like what that can do to people, you know, in the constant darkness. Plus, she says about Vernon, he swore he'd never leave me. Mm-hmm. He said he'd never leave me alone. And now she's alone. I do think you're onto something, though, Jason. If I had to be really critical on this film, I think for what they're wanting to do, they don't leave enough breadcrumbs to make it add up the way that you want it to. Right. I mean, I think it's purposefully vague, but I don't know. Is it too vague? I don't know. That was kind of the vibe I got. Yeah. yeah. That seems to be one of people's biggest critiques of it, mm-hmm. is that it's too vague. That's a hard balance to get in this like art housey kind of horror thing. Because you need you need enough of the rope that you can like hang yourself with it, mm-hmm. and if you don't have enough, like it just it doesn't pop off. Um, so I kind of want to finish up the 
the plot points here. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I want to finish up the, the plot points. So the connecting point is on each side of this equation, they both realize like it's the hot springs. It's probably where she's going to go. Russell remembers her statement that you, you brought up, Michael, about like, oh, that's the only place I can feel like I can get clean. Right. Um, Vernon, I think it's when he's out from the painkillers and stuff, he dreams about when they went there when they were younger. Right, and they basically, you know, did it in hot yep. springs and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> they did it. <laughs> Had a nice brother-sister moment. Yeah. We probably uh, ruined this for anybody. Like a couple of Lannisters. <laughs> yeah, like, this movie wasn't incestuous, really, like, until we brought up the stuff from yeah, the Yeah, I mean, I didn't then, get that at all from the movie. And now everybody so. else is like, fuck, I want to watch this now. <laughs> like, brother-fucking and stuff. Maybe if, they, maybe if she was his stepsister. I was waiting maybe for it. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for that joke. Um so there's basically no cops left mm-hmm. because they're all dead. Yep. Um, so Sheriff and uh, Russell Russell end up taking a little two-seater plane. Yeah, the sheriff flies it like a badass. Yeah. Because yeah. Russell says like he's not 100% sure where it was, but he knows if they're up in the air, he'll recognize kind of the lay of the land when he sees it. And so they do. They're basically mm-hmm. flying around and they see it. And so he puts it down on a frozen lake and they're... It's a cool scene. Yeah, yeah. They're heading towards. It's still. It's one of those great scenes that shows you the like the treachery of the mm-hmm. landscape, and so they're walking towards the hot springs, and Russell's kind of looking around, surveying the distance, and he's like, "Wait, I think I see something." And he's like <laughs> panning in with the with his binoculars <laughs> at the ridge line, and you just split second see Vernon in his mask with, with a, bow. a bow and arrow, and then just. Thunk, and it goes straight through the sheriff's throat. Yeah, and out the other side. Uh, and I, I mean, I'd forgotten about that scene, and I wasn't expecting it. It's just like... Well, it's funny, too, because when Vernon first begins the rampage, you see him take the bow, but then you never see him use it again, so you're kind of like, what's, what's right? What's the bow for, man? What are you, what are you doing with it's that? It's for his Rambo moment later. <laughs> um, I did get like a first blood vibe a little yeah. bit with this film. Uh, but then Russell basically... He follows them into the... Well, he rushes into the cave. Yeah. Finds Medora there, and he's like, hey, Vernon's coming. He's going to kill you. You need to get out of here. But then, thunk. Yeah. <laughs> he sees... Medora looks toward the entrance of the cave, and Russell turns, and he gets an arrow on the chest. And the really creepy thing... So now Russell's down. Um, Vernon comes in, and he's, like, kissing all over Medora. Well, first he... Pins her to the wall. And yeah, like, he's, he's like choking her. He yeah. still has his mask on at this point. And as she's struggling, she works the mask off. And it's when the mask comes off. When he starts to yeah. falter in his quest to kill his wife. And he starts like kind of, it's almost like he forgives her. Like he understands, I know what you did. I'm forgiving you for this or whatnot. Um, and then like. I wonder. I wonder what the emotions are in that moment. I don't know. It's It's very vague. Russell, I think they have a really good hate fuck. As well. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's what I think is creepy is poor Russell's laying over there, not dead yet, while these two are hate fucking in the corner. Uh-huh. And uh, well, I'm pretty sure you're right because he's smoking the next scene. Oh sure. Oh, it's no doubt it happens. Yeah, though. and poor Russell's like, God damn it, <laughs> can y'all? Yeah, y'all tone it down. I'm trying to die here. Y'all yeah, man, die in peace. Y'all fuck a bit quieter, sister fucking. Um, <laughs> Oh, it, it just hit me. I totally forgot the other part about the um, when Cora's like explaining to the sheriff. Because um, they talk about, like, well, why did she bait you into coming out of here and all of this? 
And what he says is, he's like, I think that I'm supposed to like learn her story to I'm tell. I'm supposed to bear her witness. Yeah. yeah. Witness. Totally forgot about that, and it just sprung back to me. Yeah. Um, Vernon goes over to Core, gives him a drag of a cigarette, <laughs> turns him over, unscrews the tip of the arrow, then pulls it out. Which is interesting, because it's clearly, he's, he's intending for him to live. Yeah. He regards him the same way the everyone else, in from what I'm referring to as his pack, has regarded Russell the entire time. Although he really should have let that arrow man taking out was, <laughs> was way worse, and you should just leave it in. If you get stabbed or something, just leave it there. Don't pull out. You're going to do more damage. And blood's coming up. First aid advice from Jason. <laughs> Everybody take it. That's all I got. Um, and this, Russell kind of drags his way out, full on Luke on Hoth style. Mm-hmm. Um, like trying to get... Sadly, no Tauntauns. No Tauntauns. Um, but there did happen to be a native uh, father and son that had a snowmobile that they spotted while flying mm-hmm. over. Mm-hmm. That uh, picked him up. But it's before that that this is neat. Is it neat? I don't know. It's I'm still mixed on it. But it's he watches Medora and uh, Vernon just kind of walk off like yeah. out into the wilderness mm-hmm. alone together. And then he sees that wolf pack again. And they kind of show up. And they regard Russell again and kind of just stare at him a bit. And then they go off as well. Right. Um, we then see... Uh, Vernon and Medora go to this place where they where Vernon buried their son. Mm-hmm. Um, he just buried him in some ice and snow, and they take the the casket out. And the last thing we see of them is them walking away together as a family, and they're dragging the casket. Yeah, they're like walking to the woods. Yeah, the casket. Um, Russell then wakes up in the hospital. In the hospital. So. In hospital, as in, the Europeans say. In hospital. <laughs> Um, and his daughter is there holding his hand and she just says, what happened? (laughs) And you just see the look on his face. Like, I don't know, man. Well, he says, I'll tell you. Yeah. And it's essentially, and that's kind of the link up to the, the, he is going to tell the story. Yeah. Um, that's that's the end. Yeah. That's the end of the film. Smash cut to credits. Yeah. So I got some theories Mm -hmm. let's hear them. And this is the way I chose to view it because I liked it. Um, there, so at one point, the uh, Native American tracker guy, hunter guy that's at the cabin lodge, mm-hmm. says, you two look Nordic. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two Nordic wolf gods mm-hmm. that are the children of Fenrir. Okay, If yeah. you're familiar with Fenrir. I know Fenrir. Jason, you know Everyone Fenrir. knows Fenrir. Well, Fenrir is the uh, one of the children of Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are... The two wolves, one chases the sun and will devour the sun, mm. and the other one will devour the moon. Right. And um, I almost viewed them as those two. Because she says, don't you see that something's wrong with the sky? Mm. And like when we first see Vernon, he's in the sun, and she's in the moon. And that there's something wrong there. I know that's not the intention. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter because even the director said, hey, right. whatever you come up with is the right answer. Um, and that is one of the hanging like plot threads, I would say, is that you have this setup of there's these two people and they're clearly not native to this region, but they're in this very remote, very out of the way village. And you kind of have that question of like, well, how did they get there? What's What's the story for this? And you're never given the context for that. Well, I think for me that wasn't as big of an issue because I've seen so many of those goddamn things on the History Channel where they're like, well, we're just tired of living in the big city (laughs) and we just need to see if we can make it on our own. 
So yeah. we've sold everything we had, and we bought some plywood, and we're going to go up here and build a a house on the side of a mountain, see if we can survive. Well, Vernon's also obviously a sociopath, so maybe he didn't want to be around people. Yeah. You know? Um, the other thoughts I have are that perhaps there was truth to the wolf spirit, mm-hmm. you know, thing that the Yupik lady had said. <laughs> maybe there was some truth to that. Mm-hmm. And then Piper and I were discussing it too, which made me wonder, am I putting this on it because I don't like the bleakness of the truth? That literally a lady went crazy and killed her kid. Mm-hmm. Like, because it could be as simple as that. Yeah. Another fun tidbit we should talk about. <laughs> Another fun tidbit, <laughs> along with, you know, um, infanticide. Uh, the village, right? Kilu, we said that had a relevance. So, uh, in their mythology, it's a spirit from the underworld that takes the form of a black hairless dog and preys on humans. Mm-hmm. And they kind of say in this, like, myth that every person has a Kilu within them and outside of them. Yeah. I thought it was funny because when I was researching and then I saw that the town was named Kilud, I was like, well, that's a little on the nose, mm-hmm. don't you think? I ran a Call of Cthulhu game where I had the ghouls of the game called Kiluts Ooh, by the natives. Nice. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> I think there's a lot in this film that I, I think that's one of the reasons that keeps drawing me to it and makes me keep coming back to it is that I can put whatever, oh shit. I can put whatever mask on it I want to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you just killed it. You killed the joke. You killed my moment. Sorry. That I can put that on it mm-hmm. and basically get something new out of it each time. And, and I like the fact that I'm not wrong with it. There are times, though, where this movie hurts my head because I want it to be a little more straightforward with a... You know. Sure, but you're right. The ambiguity is nice because it's it is whatever you want it to be. You know, you could read as much into the little things as you want. Um, it's not like because I hate movies where like everyone's explaining to you what like Donnie Darko. I use an example. Yeah. Oh. No, you'll like it once you realize he's traveling through time and all this bullshit. It's like this is what it's about, and it's like fuck you. I don't <laughs> care what you think it's about. Listen, join us next week. We'll, we're going to try someone new. Jason's done. They keep threatening this. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Dustin's crying over here. <laughs> hey, I didn't say it was a bad movie. I was talking about some of the fan base that is a little too rabid about the movie and thinks you just don't understand it. And if they explain it to you, <laughs> maybe you don't, get Jason. It. Maybe I do, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think there's a there's like a fine line you have to cut on that because um, like your idea with this the wolf god thing, that's all that's all from you. There's no there's no breadcrumb in the film that no. can let you make that jump without you doing the research to find that out. Oh, the incest thing. <laughs> well, there, there's at least a little bit because you have the oh you have the same features the same Nordic features. Well, the, see, I put that on wolf gods. Because I wasn't, my brain didn't go straight to that's your sister, you know. <laughs> like that wasn't where I landed immediately. Um, but uh, I think, like, because, uh, like, say, hereditary, they set up this payment thing, and you're given enough to know what it is, and to get it in the context of the film. And then if you go from the film and you look all that up and read it, and then you're like, "Fuck, man, this is all mm-hmm. like boom." You start doing the lines on the board. Hereditary is a special movie. Um, but in this one, I don't, I never felt like there was enough to start making those jumps. You, you really enjoyed it. So you like did the work for them. Right. That to me, I say like, 
I feel like they should have put a little more of that in there. I also think that's one of the issues that you run into when you do book adaptations. Mm-hmm. Because you are trying to be faithful to the source material without adding too much of your own flavor to it. Mm-hmm. And... I don't so know. I didn't have time to read this. I it's actually, only like a 250-page yeah. book, too, which even in itself isn't giving the book a lot of time to breathe. Um, but I did go through a lot of like reviews on the book, because I was curious. And I did notice a lot of people that had criticisms of the book, their problems with the books were kind of my hang-ups about the film. Okay. And I saw a lot of people say it is a pretty faithful adaptation, minus just some like little, little points. Right. Hmm. So... I don't know. I'm curious to what you guys think. Well, let's do, go to the final know, thoughts. Do we have any other? I mean, if anybody really wants to, or... if anybody really wants to, like, get into the nitty gritty and start talking about my <laughs> theories on it, I will. I'll go all day. I, I did just want to mention real quick how you were talking about how Russell Core is the the witness, mm-hmm. and that does justify the passivity of his character because mm-hmm. he does nothing to yeah. further the plot. It makes me think of, we talked about like the documentarian angle last time with a cult. Right. He kind of has that same stance of like, I'm here to observe. and Yeah, uh, he just gets wrapped up and he doesn't actually, it's not, nothing's of his own agency other I, than traveling to the location. But even then he was beckoned, you know. And it's like that shootout when he finally runs out to save the guy. That's finally he crosses that line and like involves himself for a right. moment. Yeah. Anyway, but interesting. I, I wouldn't want the film without Jeffrey Wright though. No, he's great. Every actor is great in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I do think everybody is, is just... It's well-directed. It's well-shot. Music's great. Um, when I was reading up about the book, this came up a bunch, and I wonder what you guys think. A lot of people compared it to uh, Cormac McCarthy. I could see that. It's got the same bleakness mm-hmm. and kind of like, just put on it what you will. It's got that kind of terse, obtuse dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. So if you do dig this film, maybe that's another avenue of like a direction to move in to look for a similar vibe. Sure. I can see that. So I have a feeling Dustin may not have liked this movie that much. I think he liked it. I just don't think he's going to go full. What do you think he's going to give it? Three? I think he's probably <laughs> going to go two and a half. I, I think three. Okay. Let's find out. Dustin. Well, now one of you need to go first so we can build the anticipation. Oh, okay. All right. I'll go first. Okay. Um, I like the movie. There. Um, (laughs) Beat that. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a solid film. I don't love it. I think it's after green room. It it is a letdown, but also that's, God, I hate doing that because you're, you're, I think sometimes we hold directors to an impossible standard. And it is hard if you make like a perfect film and then you still want to make movies and it's like... That doesn't happen. Yeah, how many directors have made perfect movie after perfect movie? He actually makes a statement in an interview. He said, everyone was everyone's gonna want green room two and this isn't it and i'm sorry we don't need a green room two but like <laughs> I'm, I'm on that one. but basically what he's saying is everybody wants me to do that kind of movie again and that's just not you what, can't what i want to do right well, now. every movie he's done has been pretty different yeah it's know? very much explored very different themes and they've all been great you know probably getting exponentially better and this one was a bit of a but having said that it's still it's well worth watching if you I, like ambiguity if you like more of a slow burn. If you like to meet the movie more than halfway, <laughs> I think I think this is something <laughs> you should check out. And I would give it, I would give it four stars. Wow, four out of five. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Okay. Well, this is definitely the way we should sandwich this. I'll go next. 
Um, there are things I like about this film. There are things I respect about this film. He has a written statement, I think. Um, <laughs> I've prepared not, not, not totally, just, uh, manifesto. just notes to where I can remember things I want to say. Um, a lot of the scenes I've highlighted, the music, you know, uh, the cinematography is great, gorgeous the whole time. But then that's like, when you talk about these kind of films, that's like the barrier to entry. Like you have to do at least that much, I think, to even start to try to nail this kind of film. So it's cool. And I respect that. Um, I really didn't like this Middle East segment. I felt that like pulled me right out of the film. It felt very out of place. I like the juxtaposition. Um, I can get that, but it just didn't work for me. <laughs> sure. Um, He's building this up so much. <laughs> I felt like the film kind of had like several different themes or messages. But it's like they would set it up and kind of put it in your mind and be like, hmm, consider this now. And then they just kind of go on and suddenly it's a different thing. So it's like we have at the start all this stuff with like the missing kid and these wolf metaphors. And it's almost like it's, when you first start it, you think it's going to be a full core thing. And there's going to be a wolf spirit or some of this craziness. Do you? I got that vibe. Really? I thought it was going to be like basically a survivalist wilderness type thing. And I love how the movie does zigzag where you, you don't know what the fuck's going to happen next. So then it zigzags out of that. And then you've got this Middle East stuff in the war. And you think it's going to be this commentary about like, oh, here's this person that's been shattered by the war. And he's this like broken person coming back and is all messed up. Then it swerves again. And you've got everything with Chion and his issues with like the police and how they failed them and how like the natives people have been like done wrong and they're, they've been ignored and kind of left to rot in this village. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole thing. And are you saying the movie can't make multiple points? I feel like it sets all these up and then it never goes far enough with them. I, I always, every time it like moved to the next thing, I was like, well, I want more about that other thing though. And now you're over here. And then I'm like, okay, well I can, I can, jive. So you don't want the buffet. You want the main course. I can, <laughs> it's like, I can jive with this idea. So let's do this. And it's like, no, we're over here now. We're talking about this now. Now it's about this. So you can't keep up. Is what you're um, <laughs> yet. Oh, <laughs> so I feel like the central thing, this through line of the family and all this looking back, I don't know if it adds up right to me. So we get this hint that it's like, there's this incestuous relationship. We don't, there's, you think there's not enough to even pull on I that. I didn't get that at all. Um, we do know from the book, if we want to bring the book into this, that is confirmed. Um, and just, <laughs> Incest confirmed. <laughs> there's just like, to me, there was not enough backstory and exploration of who they were before to like know about all of this. And maybe that was his point. You were saying like, he said, Oh, there is no meaning. And that's, that's the goal. Um, I can respect that, but I can also say that I didn't like that. And based on how they presented everything, they didn't pull me into being like where I'm like, I'm okay with not knowing they set it up in a way where it's like, well, now I want to know because you've brought all this up. Um, and so I thought like the only way it felt satisfying to me is if there is this like supernatural implication, but that's definitely not there. That's kind of just, this is the longest teased um, and pulled away. One star, no actual vampire. (laughs) (laughs) No actual wolf spirits. (laughs) Well, no, this is my thing. If you have problems with the film, you should explore those and not just be like, well, this sucks. One star. You're you're right. You're absolutely Um, right. So, so but in the end, if you if you actually put no actual wolf spirits, I'm walking out right now. <laughs> so finish airing your grievances, um, Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there was this incestuous relationship, and as far as what we can know from the film, it's like they were fine with that, and they were fine to have a kid, and they were fine for that kid to grow up and get to be like whatever age. 
And it was never a problem until he went off to war, which they kind of tease on that a little bit. But then suddenly it's like she just decides to kill him. And Kor theorizes like, oh, she's like it's for the good of the pack. She's like saving him from the darkness because blah, 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 incest, lineage stuff. And then like what? Then that sends Vernon over the edge and he does this huge overblown killing spree. And then we get to this like denouement at the end and they just kind of like it's all forgiven and they go off together to be together. And she sent for Kor to come and tell the story. And it's like, ah. I got to the end and I just like stood up and shouted at the screen. I was like, but fucking why? <laughs> <laughs> like really, why though? But where are the wolf spirits? <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm saying if that was there, then I could like say, okay, well, I guess it's this then. I'm, Do you think it's people trying to make sense of a chaotic and disordered universe? Hmm. Uh oh. I don't know. That could be one way to take it. I don't. I don't feel satisfied by that, which is weird because I do like open-ended films where it's like it finishes and you're like, "What does this mean?" Well, I don't fucking know. It's like every <laughs> it's like every David Lynch film where it's like, "Hey, you know, hey Lynch, what does this mean?" I don't know. What do you think it means? Yeah, right. Um, and I love that, and I love going back to those. But this one, I'm just like, I, I don't think I would ever go back because I don't want to ponder it. Because the only way to get to those deeper things is to do what you've done, Michael, which is that you take the initiative yourself to like pump these in there. I think that's why this movie is sitting on a five-star rating on IMDb. Um, which you said from the start. It was five out of ten. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the first top uh, review here that comes up is... Uh, the headliner of the review is boring and baffling. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also think it's weird that like the wolf abducting children angle. Because um, Core tells her like that's really rare, but it does happen. And so we have all this like, oh, her son's the third victim, and you know that's a lie, so that's cool. But there's these two other cases, one of which is Chion's kid. But it's like we never really get more with that at all. And when he finds the pack like eating their young, the whole like clue to that is that's kind of saying like, well, they're not abducting kids because they're doing this was sort of the vibe I got, which sets up like the good through line of like, oh, it's not happening because she killed the kid, but. Clearly, Cheon's kid was killed that way. They didn't find the body. Perhaps it wasn't. We don't know. It's just another one of those hanging things. Perhaps really... the Medora's kid was killing other children. That's why she killed him. And that would be an interesting addition to I the film. I want to see that, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You got um, me there. So, <laughs> collectively, there's a lot of things I do like. I think the visuals are great. The music's amazing. There's great moments. And, like, the, the shootout, that's an amazing set piece. <sighs> you could just, like, slice that and show it to me. And I'd be like, what is this film? It's amazing. I love it. Um, and then you show him the rest of the film. He's yeah. like, do I have a dissertation for you? But when you put it together and this is the thing that's been presented to me, I, I just really didn't like it, you know? And I don't think I would ever want to revisit it or go back to it or think like, hmm, what else can I mine from this now? Oh, shit, is he going to give it a one? Um, no, he won't give it a one. He won't, he's not going to give it a three either. You might be closer to, to right. So in that relation, because there is stuff that I do think is worth seeing, and I think if you like um, Saulnier as a director, you should see this because it is more... All his like stylistic elements are here, whether you like it or not, and you can enjoy those and you can appreciate those and you can respect those. But in the end, all that said, I would give it a two. A two? You were closer than my guess than I was. That was so much foreplay. <laughs> there was so much. I feel like. Well, he justified no. his. I know perceptions. But I was just. I was just so very much, frustrated, and I felt it was so uh, much build up. It like, would be a disservice to just say like I really didn't like it. Two stars. 
That was the one star. No Mm. actual vampires. Mm. (laughs) No, I've just given you a hard time because I love it when you get so frustrated by something. You're like, some people are like, I just really need to go think about this. Dustin's like, I need to go write. (laughs) (laughs) You you truly nailed it with calling him Martin Luther. Air your grievances. (laughs) So now Dustin has his own church that you can come and just air your grievances about films that you didn't like. Uh, How about you, Michael? This was your pick, so I assume you like it. I've thought about this. I watched this. I was really excited when this came out um, because I was also being a snob. Like, oh, I want to go watch the new Jeremy Saulnier film. Mm, and sure. everybody's like, who? And I'm like, who? <laughs> don't How know. could you not have seen other Jeremy Saulnier films? If you don't know, you're not cool. Um, so, yeah, I was being a big snob on that one when it came out. Mm-hmm. When I first watched it, I was like, I don't know how I felt about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Piper was also the same, but she has not like she has brought this film up like at least every two to three months in the last two to three years. Really, and she'll be like, "You know that Wolf God movie?" <laughs> <laughs> it's actually if you go to one of the comments on our Facebook page, my wife commented on the elevated horror thing about. I'm surprised you didn't bring up the Wolf God movie. And oh. she referenced it by its name, and I also knew that there was no fucking way she remembered the name of it. <laughs> so she had to sit in her car before going into work and try to figure out how to Google Wolf God movie and get the actual <laughs> name of the movie. <laughs> um, anyway. So I'm sure it was a feat. <laughs> she, did not, she did not say I was wrong. <laughs> um so that really made me want to revisit it. I also think that this film didn't get seen very much. It fell to the one side of the Netflix coin mm-hmm. where either something so popular that every single person watches it, whether it's good or not. Yeah, uh, nobody making TikTok memes about the uh, incest yeah. revenge thriller. <laughs> I don't even know that people... Okay. Um, <laughs> But that tends to be the Netflix thing. There's a bunch of little hidden gems on Netflix that sure. just get lost due to the mm-hmm. algorithm. And it, like been, super, super dark times. Hell yeah. 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 That was a good one. Like I'd just been really wanting to revisit this film and see how I felt about it. And on revisiting it, I think I had more fun with it because I took that leap and started mm-hmm. kind of doing what I did with uh, Under the Silver Lake and like start chasing down clues and all this stuff that didn't necessarily mean anything for anybody else but me. Um, so I think I'm going to land on a solid four. Hmm. I don't think it's a perfect film, mm-hmm. um, but I'd, I think I'll land it on a solid four because I really love the atmosphere of the film. I love the tone. All the performances are just super spot on for me. Everybody's I say, great. Um, when I was looking at like other feedback on this film, kind of just like quick scrolling the letterboxd, there were a lot of negative reviews that said the acting was really bad, like on everyone. And I just, I don't see that at all. No, like, I think that if, I don't think it's possible for, like, there's a lot of things I think you could say negative about this film. Like people said, uh, people, a lot of people were saying that Medora seems like very stiff. And I was like, I think that's the point with her though. Uh, yeah, definitely. Because she's if you look at it, right mind. she's I mean. not mentally well. Also, if you put in the incest angle for it, she's also controlled. She's extremely controlled by Vernon. So like. And also, I'm just saying, like, she's not well. You know, don't badmouth Riley Keough. <laughs> yeah, you have to answer to us. So, no, I think that's one of the. I don't think you yeah. can. I don't think that's a fair statement. It's objectionably false. <laughs> so, but I'm. I mean, I'll agree with everything that said. 
if you like Saulnier mm-hmm. and that's your thing, you de- there's no reason to not watch it. It's there. It's easily accessible. Um, <laughs> that's a good blur. But there's no reason to not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's there. Um, I'm super excited to see what he does next. I know that I was a little worried that after the incidents with True Detective that he might just kind of step away for a little while. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. Um, but I hope he doesn't because he's so good. I, I do think he's one of our best directors right now. I yeah, I just would love to see what he really tackles next. But I'm also nervous about that because I set him up on such a high pedestal that you know, what if his next one's a pooper? Yeah, you know, and that that Netflix is still in the mix. So, <laughs> uh oh, evil Netflix. Oh well, uh, whose J- pick is it, Jason? Next? What we got next You're- time? Okay, well, um, Michael, this movie has put me in the mood for two things. It's putting me in the mood for Christmas, because it turns out this was a Christmas movie. Yeah, a stealth Christmas movie. It takes place during Christmas. You see Christmas lights at the beginning. And there's a Christmas song at the end of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and someone says something about Bells having a Christmas movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> so I want a Christmas movie. <laughs> the it's the time of year. And this movie also put me in the mood for some child murder. Oh, what a Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to watch The Children from 2008. Okay, never seen it. I don't know shit about it. Good, that's the way to have it. Well, as we started last time, is this available? For, uh, where is this available? If somebody would like to watch this, if you if you want to watch this streaming, it is available for free. Uh, probably the best place to access it would be Tubi. Oh yeah, I hear you it. know I've seen a lot of people talking about Tubi recently because like their horror selection is really good for what I, it is. I was looking at it the other day, and it's actually it's gotten pretty good. I, I hear a lot about this Tubi. That <laughs> Tell these me about kids this here Tubi, and especially just because we talk about it a lot. I'm in a found footage Facebook group, which what well, we've done like three episodes now on found footage, yeah. just, just by the chance of things. And there's a ton of like really obscure, hard to track down found footage horror that's just on Tubi. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, so The Children, it's on Tubi, it's on Vudu, it's on Roku Channel, lots of places to see it. It was never put out on Blu-ray, apparently. At least uh, not that I could find. What? I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you're going to be stone cold sober for the next episode, because Dustin <laughs> can't tell you he's got the blue. So, yeah, The Children, next time. So if you would like to watch it beforehand, um, and then join us on this conversation as we tried with this one. Oh, and this movie is in no way ambiguous. Okay. okay. Definitely vampires. It's not deep. Uh, One star, no actual children. <laughs> there are, cho- <laughs> I promise you, children. I mean, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so as always, thanks for tuning in. Listen to us bullshit about these movies that we love and some of them we hate. Uh, we love getting feedback from you guys, so please, yes. as always, drop us lines on all of your favorite socials. Or send a raven. Ain't nobody sending a raven yet. I still await by my keep. (laughs) (laughs) Eyes on the west for the raven. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy 
Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.